I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Today, I am going to be answering some questions from patrons. We're going to run through quite a few things. First off is somebody had asked me to expand on the zero to six years is govern, six to 12 is garden, 12 to 18 years is guide concept. So I'd like to spend some time doing that. Another question was a pacifiers and thumb sucking, what to do about it, when to when to force the giving up, when to not. Another question was kids still not really understanding the pandemic regulations, tantrums, what to do with violent tantrums. And another one is how do you teach your kid to laugh it off and have a good attitude? So let's jump in and I'll answer some of these questions. So as you know, my, well, not as you know, because you may not have read my book, Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler, but that whole book is really riffing off the premise that zero to six years old, you are governing, six to 12 years old, you are gardening, and 12 to 18 years old, you're guiding. And that is a concept I got from Kim John Payne, who wrote Simplicity Parenting, and that is one of my favorite parenting books. And I don't believe that concept is actually in his book. I heard him speak at a local college and he gave this zero to six, six to 12, 12 to 18 thing. And it blew me away. And what was interesting is Kim John Payne attracts a very Montessori Waldorf, very conscious parent. And here in Rhode Island, when I heard him speak, it was definitely the Waldorf Montessori crew. And I know those are two very different philosophies, but I tend to lump them together only in the sense of it shows a consciousness. Like if you tell me I'm a Montessori parent, I kind of know where you're at and I know you're pretty conscious. And if you tell me you're a Waldorf parent, I know where you're at, you know? So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a quick soundbite for your parenting style. But what was really funny is he, he builds this, like he shows it as a pyramid, right? Like six, zero to six is, is governed and that's your base. And then the six to 12 is the next layer up and the 12 to 18 is guide. And I, he does it as a pyramid, I believe, because that's your base, right? Like zero to six years old is your foundation. And he was actually kind of reprimanding this crowd. He said, what's happening in so many parenting circles and with so many parenting philosophies is that we're trying to guide zero to six years old. And 
they don't have the capacity to be guided. Like you can't guide a toddler. You you have to govern, you have to set, you know, a couple of choices. It has to be very black or white. We don't allow them to think a whole lot only because the brain development's not there. So it's developmentally inappropriate to to try to guide a toddler. And, and that's sort of my gripe with the quote unquote gentle parenting movement is that I think that we could potentially if we lived like in tribes out in the woods and we didn't have to have socialized behavior, we could potentially guide toddlers. But even then, I I don't know. (laughs) So people kick up against the govern part. And I have talked a lot about this in my podcast in sort of a funny way. And the zero to six, so many people are like concerned about their relationship with their kids. And I keep laughing and I go, you don't have a relationship with your kids in the way you're thinking in this like give and take, you know, exchange ideas and work through problems. Again, frontal lobes, not developed, prefrontal cortex, not developed, judgment, empathy, all these things are not yet developed and they're coming. Don't worry. They are coming. But the zero to six is those real black and white that your, your relationship with your child is bonding, is setting the rules and boundaries, is letting them know in every way, shape, and form that you've got them. You are emotionally swaddling them. You are setting the boundaries and the rules for life in your family and life out in the world. And that makes a child feel safe. When we try to guide, you know, when I have private consults with people for parenting and family dynamics and family struggles, it's almost always because parents don't have a handle on this govern and kids go ballistic. Yeah. So if your kid is going ballistic with like crazy violent tantrums, and we're going to get to more of that, you know, when we get to that particular question, you have to look at your boundaries. You have to look at how you are governing. And again, this does not have to look mean. This does not have to look controlling or authoritarian. It just has to be firm and consistent. And that is it. The six to 12, what happens when you govern, and I say this all the time, it's in my book, when you govern in the zero to six, your children feel safe. This creates better behavior, okay? So it gets tricky because parents, we have so much information right now and parents really love, a conscious parent really loves the idea of gentle parenting and some kids aren't wired for it. (laughs) Some kids are, but some kids aren't. And I would say most kids aren't are not wired for free control, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you've seen it. You've seen choice overwhelm. Like if you just let your kid go about their day, they wouldn't brush their teeth. They would eat crappy food. They would have meltdowns over what to wear. Again, it's pure brain (laughs) development. But if you don't manage to do that, and I've seen this professionally, I've seen this personally, is the child feels unsafe and this yields crappy behavior. And this this expands throughout the years. And I started to see it in my personal life, and it's definitely translated to my professional life, is parents who were wishy-washy didn't govern in the zero to six. They didn't set boundaries. They didn't set the rules. It got really wonky. And then what happens in the six to 12 range is the child is still pushing. So crappy behavior is often your child asking you to say no. It's your child asking you to emotionally swaddle them. It's a free fall 
If you are not setting rules and boundaries, kids need it and they will push and push and push till you push back. And oftentimes what happens is if you wait till the six to 12 years, you've waited too long. Your kid's going to push back and they know that they can keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and eventually you'll cave. And I swear to God, in both potty training and parenting, this is 90% of my work is parents go, I know, I know, I know, but I caved. Dude, I have no judgment if you cave on a tantrum. I have no judgment if you cave on co-sleeping, on crappy food, on screen time. You have got to realize though that that's not my job to fix. You caved, you taught something. So, I mean, it is my job to fix and I'm gonna help you fix it, of course. But you can't look for miracle solutions when you taught your child something consistently. Again, I say, take the emotion out of this. Take the blame, take the guilt, take it out of it and just look at it really In a really simplified, hardcore way, you taught your child that if you scream, if you push the boundary, I'm going to move it. So number one, they've learned that. Number two, it makes them feel tremendously unsafe. If you can't hold the line, who can, right? The outside world is scary. People are messy. The world is messy. So that the safety lies in you and your consistency. Now, then what I see happen is six to 12 Now you're doing, you're trying to discipline. Now you've got a kid who's highly reactive, slamming doors, throwing things, and now they're bigger. They're literally more dangerous. You know, you can take a toddler and surfboard them to their room. You can't surfboard a 10-year-old to their room, you know, and now these years that could be so rich. This is when you want to start the the relationship work. This is when you want to start... I love the word garden because that's literally what you're doing. Your your hands are in the soil of their of their mind and their growth, you know? And you guys are going to work this garden together. And it's so beautiful if you're not caught up. And now you've got to set the boundaries. Now you have to be the hard ass, right? And it's hard because, you know, when they're little, when they're under six, it's like, oh, they're so cute. They're, it's really hard. It, it, it's hard to be the hardest, but you have to be because you're laying the foundation for the beauty of the relationship later. And it just, it makes me so sad. Part of the reason why I do this work, you guys, is I've seen what happens. And at 12 years old, you have a fractured relationship with your kid because all you're doing is fighting and crying and di- trying to discipline and trying to figure out where the boundaries are. It's messy and you're missing out on so much. And so again, this is why I do this work because it's so important to lay this foundation in the zero to six so that the rest of the childhood is this really beautiful relationship that you guys are cultivating. And it's so great. You know, and I've talked very publicly about this. Pascal is just, he's a great kid. So I never like, I never have the hubris to think that, he turned out the way he turned out because of solely because of my parenting. I, I, of course it contributed, but he's also this, like he came into the world a certain way, but we don't, I have never, I disciplined early. And by discipline, I mean, follow through. That's again, another chapter in my book is I followed through. If he started to pitch a fit in the market, boom, we left. I was just really, really strict about certain things because I knew how it would turn out if I didn't cap them in the beginning, right? And then the six to 12 years were so amazing. And I watched people around me just be miserable, have to take doors off hinges because of slamming doors, have to, you know, punish, take away screen time. Just so sad. And and 
it's been beautiful with Pascal because he knows it's ingrained in him that I mean what I say. So I don't have to discipline, which is a beautiful thing in these later years when you can, you know, of course I have to be a parent and I have to, you know, maintain boundaries and, and do the hard work of parenting, which is often saying no or curbing, you know, certain things, certain behaviors, certain instincts, but we have to do that. But I don't have to like take things away. We're not in this contentious relationship. And so it's so worth it. And then what happens is the next year is the 12 to 18, you are guiding. And and again, personally, that's where I am. Pascal's 14 now. And I told him, I said, I'm, you know, when you go bowling and you can put the bumpers up or the bumpers down, that's where we're at on the bumpers. And, you know, we can take them down for trials, you know, but if you end up in the gutter, we're going to put the bumpers back up. <laughs> and so it's really beautiful though, because now you have a foundation of trust. You have a foundation of, of communication. You have a relationship that's not contentious. You're not, and trust me, the teen years, Pascal's great, but man, there is some, there is some like know-it-all attitude happening. And, and so to have these open lines of dialogue and I'm watching other people, you know, fight and again, doing the discipline. If you wait till your kid's a teenager to discipline, you are fucked, unmitigatedly fucked. I, I can tell you that right now. So, so you, discipline is a dirty word. Usually by when I say discipline, I mean, just follow through, do the things you say you're going to do. If you say, if you say you're going to hit one more time, we're leaving, leave. You got to leave. If your child hits and you say, if you hit again, we're leaving and you don't leave, man, you're just teaching that you don't mean what you say. So then as they grow older, you have no credibility. So that sucks. So I hope that clarifies. Honestly, I heard this as like a blip in this lecture by Kim John Payne. I haven't seen much at all about it. I took off with the concept because it made so much sense and just... I, I literally, throughout the years, I, I knew this friend, we don't hang out anymore because her kid's behavior was so intolerable. And she like literally had really staunch beliefs about like zero to six, you kind of let your kids just free free wheel it, free range it. And not free range it, like outside. But, you know, she just, she was like, no, 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 they're too little. You, you don't have to discipline them now. And then as her kids grew, like I remember her 10-year-old just epic epic, like 10-year-old flailing in the market. And she was just strung out. She didn't know what to do. Her kids were just, their behavior was awful, awful out in public. I And and I remember one day we went to the beach and her kid was so awful. Fine. She got him in the car seat. We were leaving. And this was years ago. The kid was screaming for an ice cream cone. She like tried to give him $2 to be quiet. He didn't of course, that didn't work. He wanted ice cream. Eventually, she just stopped for ice cream. And I was like, <gasps> oh, my God. And I, you know, at the time, I hadn't even written, oh, crap, I have a toddler. But I was like, dude, like, you can't get him ice cream now. He just, like, went through an hour tantrum. And now, like, the next tantrum for ice cream is going to be two hours. So I just saw her kids in that 6 to 12. Her life was miserable because she tried to set boundaries too late. She tried to enact some form of you know, discipline is like teaching. It's the the true word comes from disciple, comes from Latin, and it is to teach. And so we've made it this dirty word, like thinking it's like, you know, tying your kid to a pole and whipping them. It's not that, you guys. It's not corporal punishment. It's not spanking. It's not anything but teaching. And you can teach very simply by following through. 90% of the time, it's following through with what you say. And that's the hard part of parenting. And I get really aggravated today 
because we've got some lame ass parenting. I'm just going to say that outright. We've got parents who don't want to do the hard work. You know, parents will say to me, well, he was being terrible, but you know, I worked so hard and I, I, I couldn't wait to see my friend and I didn't want to leave. Guys, I get it. I get it. Parenting's hard. We go, we get these social gatherings or we get, you know, not not so many now, but we get these opportunities and we don't want to leave. We don't want to leave the 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 thing. The problem is, is that's that is the hard part. That's the hard part of parenting. You have to do shit you don't like. You have to do shit that makes you feel not so great in order to teach your child. Yeah. And you also want to say that there's going to be situations where you really can't leave. You know, you're vacationing at your parents' house or, you know, you're at a wedding or something and you really can't just ditch out when the behavior gets bad. So you want to save those. You want to save those opportunities. You don't want to make it a regular occurrence. You know, I I hope that makes sense. Okay, moving on to pacifiers and thumb sucking. So a mama had written me, um, she's got an older child, about four years old, who is a thumb sucker, mostly at night, and pass and her little one uses a pacifier mostly at night for sleep. And the little one I think is about a year and a half. And she asked my opinion on it. So pacifiers and thumb sucking are kind of contentious. There's now a fair amount of research that they don't do necessarily as much damage as we used to think. And I've heard plenty of parents, I've heard plenty of experts weigh in that, you know, it naturally goes away when they start going to, you know, kindergarten, they start doing these bigger kid things, they start, their hands get messy. So, you know, there is plenty of research to show that just don't worry about it, they'll ditch these things when necessary. And there's also plenty of research on the other side, which is, you know, it can wreck their palate, it can wreck their teeth, you know, with thumb sucking I know a lot of parents are concerned with germs. I would venture to say we need more germs in our life. I was a finger sucker till about second grade and I didn't care what was on my hands and I have a very robust immune system. So so there's that. Um, for pacifiers, you know, I think the the reality about both of these is for the pacifier, you just have to ditch it. And I've heard that consistently is like the best way is to just ditch it. Uh, There is a system out here that I've had a couple of clients work with that they said was miraculous, which is you cut, you slowly cut a little bit of a hole in the pacifier. It removes the hard suck. And so the child will eventually not have that, that kickback from the pacifier, right? So they don't have that feeling of sucking. And so the pacifier loses interest. So that's one potential way of getting rid of the pacifier. And it it's like a two-week process and it definitely, it, it seems to go very smoothly for people. If you do just ditch it, of course, you're going to have probably a couple of really bad nights. Uh, so that, that's going to suck, but you're done. You know, pacifiers and things like that, I, it's I tend to be in the rip the bandaid off, you know, same thing with diapers. When parents are trying to potty train in diapers, I'm like, it's really hard to like give up diapers while you're still wearing diapers. There's kind of, it's more like rip the bandaid off, get the reaction and then move on. So that's your call. But I just, I wanted to put it out there that there is that, that cutting the whole bigger technique that seems to work really well. A lot of kids really resonate with the Pacify a fairy, you know, comes and gets it, leaves a little prize and and then you're all gone and she's going to bring it over to a baby. However, if you have like a one and a half year old, I don't know that that's going to fly. Thumb sucking is harder, of course. And if you give up the pacifier, you might end up with a thumb sucker because, you know, you can't (laughs) you can't just get rid of it. I think at night there's not so much. It's such a comfort thing. There's not so much you can do. They have what do you call it? 
the, a, a nasty tasting solvent you can put on your, well, solvent's probably the word, wrong word, a nasty tasting lotion you can put on the thumb that deters the child from putting it in their mouth. And you can like, you know, safety pin a glove or a mitten to the child. And that can also help. I would check in for the older child. I would check in and make sure that you have switched over to regular glasses and not sippy cups. So a lot of kids are super, uh, we're into sippy cups and that creates a suction and a sucking motion that is also comforting. So we want the child out of the habit of sucking being a self-soothing thing, right? That's that's the bigger issue. And I have heard miraculous things about the the nasty tasting lotion and also putting the the mitten or glove safety pin to the child for the thumb sucking. I would honestly though before you even rush into this, I would go to your dentist and check in with how they feel about it. Cause I've heard, I, I swear it's like 50, 50 that most kids just give it up on their own and that it's not quite as dramatically bad for your teeth as we had previously thought. So I would check in with your dentist and let them, they'll have more information for you. And either they'll be like, don't worry about it. Or they'll scare the crap out of you and be like, you're totally fucking up your kid's mouth. And you'll be like, okay, I'll do it. And so I would get that information. So you have a clear plan. All right, moving on. Kids not understanding still about the pandemic. And so this mama wrote that her child just still doesn't really understand. He gets really angry that he can't go do the things he wants to do. And she's been telling him that the world is still sick and we can't go out. And I know in places like California, I know they're kind of just re-locked down again. I'm recording this on June, uh, July 15th. So I would encourage you, number one, I... For this particular case, and in general, I would actually stop saying the world is still sick. And, you know, the older your child, the more they're going to understand. I think some of this is us in general, and this isn't directed at this mama in particular, but I think some of this is us projecting this onto our kids and or having a bad attitude ourselves. So if you're just totally resigned, like, oh, well, we can't go do the things. We can't go do the things. You know, there is a fair amount of, you know, juggling fire here to get your kid's mind off the things. But when you have a kid who's, I would say three and a half and under, this pandemic was, lockdown was a significant portion of their lives. They got very used to this. So if your child is pining for the life they had before, I would check in first and foremost that you are not being vocal about that and that your attitude and what you're modeling is like, hey, we get to stay in as opposed to we have to stay in. We get to spend more time together. We get more screen time. So that's a a pivotal shift in general for everybody for life is stop with I have to and reframe it as I get to and it changes your attitude by miles. So, you know, I have to go to work as opposed to I get to go to work. That's a huge difference, right? Especially in this time where so many people can't go to work, you know? So I would make sure that you have this attitude because even at four or five, real life, you guys, was February. That was real life. Like that's a significant time. If your child is still pining for everyday life that was in February, there's a culture in your house that is producing that because kids forget and kids are resilient. If you had to be in one room for a year, your kid would eventually just be like, okay, you know, that's, that's how it is. 
And I would, I would honestly just try to reframe everything as like, hey, we get to stay in. I will say this, and I've said this before in episodes about the pandemic, if your child is a true introvert, and there are true introverts, I mean, true extroverts, but what's come to my knowledge with the lockdown and pandemic is that the extroverts are so much rarer. I think humans by nature are way more, we're social, but like, but we're way more introverted. We also need more breaks from people. And I think what's really happened is we have such a, um, with activities and social media, and there's so many activities now for kids that just weren't around in past generations is that we're actually over-socialized. I think we spend far too much time with too many people trying to negotiate people's opinions and philosophies and ideas and and I think we're over-socialized and it's tapping us out. So um, if your child, though, is a true extrovert, and I do have a friend with a child who's a true extrovert who just sank during the pandemic. Poor little guy got um, started plucking out his hair, OCD tendencies. He um, So, you know, because we're not back to like this crazy full lockdown, I would encourage you to find some families that you feel safe with and make sure your child's getting that. So they they might need that extra interaction. And again, it's not all kids. It's it's pretty rare. It, given the amount of families I've worked with over the past four months with the pandemic, this true extrovert is very rare. So check in, check in with what you need and be careful not to project that onto your child, okay? Because we need things. And I see this all the, I see this happening all the time now because we're, we are kind of getting back into real life. I got parents who are setting like seven hour play dates. They're like, Oh my God, I'm so excited to see our friends. You can't do that to a three or four year old. Yeah. Like again, remember that this pandemic was a significant portion of their lives. We can't just jump back in and ask them to pivot that quickly. So be cautious of that. Say Mama was talking about tantrums and somewhat violent tantrums. And I directed her, please go back. If you're, especially with Patreon, there are some patron-specific podcasts that will never be released to the public because I want your feedback on it. And I, it's really great information that I work with my private clients with. Go back to the podcast about the go-to-your-room strategy and there was some follow-ups. I did some follow-up mini podcasts on that and go back and look at those because the child who is very dysregulated in the house has to go to their room to learn to self-regulate. And I'll repeat this till, this is going to be on my tombstone. You guys, you cannot help somebody self-regulate. You can hold space for them. And some children might need you to hold space with them. But large in a way, we are trying to convince our children. We're trying to talk them into self-regulation and it can't happen. So please go over the go to your room strategy because the violent tantrums can't be in the middle of the house. The next thing is you cannot cave to a violent tantrum. Whatever it is, you can't cave. And again, take the emotion out of it. It's not whether, you know, I get parents all the time emailing me, oh, I'm such a bad parent, I caved. You're not a good or bad parent. Take the judgment out of it. What are you teaching your child? What are you teaching your child? Like, just kind of have that mantra running through your head. What am I teaching here? Yeah, I'm having a current life situation. I think I'll do a whole podcast on I'm having a current life situation with teenagers and the what am I teaching and bucking up against other parents because what they're teaching is somewhat ludicrous. <laughs> so what are you teaching underneath? You, you, We have these actions and reactions that we have with our kids when something goes wrong and Everything we do or say is is teaching, yeah? So 
again, I you're not a good parent or bad parent because you cave. You're a tired parent. I can guarantee that. And I get that. But you're teaching something. Yeah. And so the teaching is like also... I can't get this through to so many people, especially the gentle parenting philosophy is like, well, how is going to your room, not abandoning your kid? And it's like, yeah, dude, you're not abandoning when you let them have their emotions, just not in front of everybody, just not wrecking the house. Yeah. It's so respectful to say, yes, have all those big feelings and just in your room and settle your body and let me know when you're ready to come out. As opposed to your kid having this huge fucking tantrum in the middle of your kitchen. You're like, okay, okay, here, hi, you here, let's settle here. Do you want this? Like you are totally invalidating their feeling that way. And, and I'm sorry, you just, I say this all the time. If you have a tantrum in the market, we're seeing this because people are being fucking dickheads in the pandemic. We had an ice cream shop close in Rhode Island because two grown ass people were pissed that they couldn't eat their ice cream on the patio. Are you fucking kidding me? So anyway, the police were called and they were removed because they were having a big ass tantrum in an ice cream shop. So that is socialized behavior. We don't get to have fallouts wherever we are. You get to have a fallout, but just go to your room and have the fallout. Yeah. So it's such an interesting thing that people can't quite grasp that. Just go over those podcasts, mama, and, and, and utilize that go to your room, especially with the violence. I work with a lot of violent kids and I'm telling you, this works. This works within two weeks time if you can be really consistent with it. So this is a really great place to segue right into, somebody asked me, you know, how do you, how do you teach your kids? The kids take everything so seriously. How do you teach them to laugh it off? Uh, Mr. Rogers says, attitudes are caught. Yes, and they are. My tombstone's gonna be really long because there are so many things. <laughs> that I just say over and over and over again. Watch what you are modeling, okay? And I know this for a fact because I have worked tirelessly on myself so that I don't have huge reactions. I have worked tirelessly on myself so that I laugh things off. I am what I would probably be sort of diagnosed as a highly sensitive person. I have always been told I'm too emotional. I'm too sensitive to this day. I'm 51 and a half years old and I am told I'm too sensitive, except now I can say, fuck you. I'm just the right amount of sensitive. Yeah. So laughing it off has never been my strong point. And so I've worked really hard because I know 100% that there is a child in my house that is watching my every move. And so spilt milk, accidents, uh, any sort of accident, not, not potty training, you know, break something, make a mistake in attitude, make a mistake in words. I try really hard to say, okay, you know, I know you didn't mean it. Let's clean it up. Not a big deal. You know, let's be more careful next time. How could we have prevented that? But I generally laugh it off. It works. So you guys, you got to, you got to check yourself because if there are definitely intense kids and there are definitely kids who are not going to laugh it off by nature's, but you can teach this and you might have to go overboard. You know, if your kid has pulled the intensity pendulum to the left, you might have to like be super silly about things to the right, but it's possible. And I know it's possible because Pascal is an intense kid and we have laughed it off. I'd say another thing that's kind of, this sounds so stupid, but I can see how it parlays into like a really magical thing is I've been, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. You know, when like you're all sitting in the living room and your kid, like you don't want to be your, your kid's snack bitch. Like, especially when they're under six, you don't want to be like, oh, let me get you this. Let me get you that. Right. So 
you don't want to be that mom. But as they get older, I see this all the time. Like, you know, you get a 10 year old who's like, maybe, I don't know, playing on his iPad. Mom, can you give me some water? And you're like, no, get it yourself. And I have been very select about like, I often get him the thing, but, you know, equally don't. I'm not, again, I'm not here to be your, your runner, your maid, your snack bitch. <laughs> but um, I've, I've done a fair amount of, yeah, I'll get that. Or, you know, if we're watching a movie, hey, I'm getting up. Can I get you something? And it's turned around. Pascal does that now. And I've noticed that people compliment him on that. Like when he sleeps over somebody's house or when, you know, he's with a group of kids, they're like, oh my God, he like helps. And he has this attitude of like, can I get you something instead of being like closed about it? So I just thought I'd throw that in there because I think it's, it's parlayed into a bigger thing than I would have thought, a bigger, cooler thing than I would have thought, even though I was doing it consciously. Be careful in the car, you guys. Our road rage is 100% an attitude that catches. So I'm pretty famous for like whistling a Disney tune and then doing the like, motherfucker, learn how to drive. And then going back to the Disney tune. <laughs> um, but I, I try really hard to cap what I say in the car because that is 100% an attitude that is caught. So just, again, it's really about modeling. And I don't know, I think this is the hard part about parenting is we're under the microscope every day. They're watching, they're watching. And so just really check in with yourself and it may require you to do some work on yourself because they're just, they're, they're watching and they're gonna model their behavior after us. I was just reading a book about, what am I reading right now? Oh, this book called Breath. Fascinating, James Lester. And just talking about, there was this side note about language and the capacity for language. If you think about it, every child comes into the world with the capacity to speak whatever language, right? So dialects, think I'm in Rhode Island. We have the whole like, Italian, you know, the, the mob Italian media portrayal, you know, forget about it. We have, we drop our R's all the time, you know, we, we drive cars. (laughs) And so that is such a learned thing, right? And then if you go to Texas, you're going to have a Texas accent. And if you go to other countries, they're going to speak other languages. That's modeling guys, people, the kids are just picking up on what's around them. So I think that's like the base example of modeling and how much your kid is not like, if you have a shitty attitude and you don't shake things off, you know, that's like you speaking French in the house and expecting your child to just learn English. It's like They're going to do what you do. So very first thing is before you say my kid does X, Y, and Z, do you do X, Y, and Z? All right. And the last thing kind of tying into that idea was game winning sore losers. How do we get our kids to not flip the board game, to not (laughs) hate, hate losing? First of all, it's totally developmentally. Your kid is going to suck at losing. Again, model you losing. So I would, I literally would think about it and, you know, roughly half the time I'd let him win, half the time I'd make him lose. And so it's just practice. And it's, I think it's just you again, modeling sore loser, um, modeling, not sore loser, but uh, excuse me, being a good loser. And there's just some bad part of it. And every parent, including myself, goes through this, you know, with this is how it's going to be. We're not going to play this game ever again. And it does get better. Pascal loses very gracefully now, and so do all his friends. So it does get better. It's just, it's a developmental thing and it, and the kids just suck at it. So I, again, 50% of the time 
I let them win and 50% of the time I make them lose. All right. So I hope that clarifies all those questions. Uh, This ended up being a little bit longer than I wanted, but that's okay. Keep them coming, you guys. I created Patreon so we could create content together so I could answer your questions. So we could hit these hot spots that you're having. And I love it. I love when you guys ask me the questions. I love having these podcasts where I can just kind of flow with what you guys want to know. And it's awesome. I appreciate you. I appreciate your support. And as always, rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.